Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance, big friendships everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Aminatu So. And I'm Ann Friedman. Woo, the intro. So bumpy over there. Gotta use our own nomenclature, you know. I've been thinking about it because I say that line every week. And and we've been talking about how terms like bestie are not really um, the kind of, like, adult, emotionally mature label that we want to apply to friendships like ours. And I was like, you know, maybe we need to be the change. <laughs> <laughs> be the change. Be the change. Uh, a podcast for long-distance adult friends everywhere. I mean, that sounds sexy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's um, let's talk about it at the next CYG meeting, the rebrand. Uh, I'm here for oh that. Oh, my God. The tagline update. You know, we could we could, we could stand for a tagline update after uh, like six and a half years. Oh, uh, we can stand for a lot of updates after six and a half years. But like I, I said, let's talk about it at the meeting. <sighs> what are we talking about today? Well, today, Anne, um, we are talking about difficult patches, communication breakdowns, periods of estrangement, and how they're all part of a lot of very uh, important relationships, and friendship is no exception to that. The friendship breakups episode, in other words, like the path, the path not taken for our own friendship and for many friendships that are still going strong today, like you had to actually choose at some point that you still wanted to be in it, even though it was hard. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about our own breakdown then, um, because, you know, we, as we have written about and talked about, our friendship ended up uh, taking us to therapy, which is a, it still sounds very weird to say, it's so weird to say out loud, even though like, it, you know, I'm like, it's a thing that we did and I have no shame about doing it, but it does sound very uh, strange. But, you know, it's like maybe let's talk about how, you know, like how things got bad for us, why we decided to go to therapy and really, you know, like how like how do you even start to find a therapist for this if that's what you're interested in? Well, it all started when you stole my car and took it on a high speed chase and then wrecked it and then denied that that ever happened. (laughs) I'm sorry that that is the most like far fetched, like of all the crimes I could commit against you. I love that this is where your imagination went. Thank you. Uh, You take care of me even in like malicious invented moments. So thank you. That is beautiful. I was trying to think of like, you know, we we often say that it would have been easier to talk about the bad patch of our friendship if there were a catalyzing incident. And like the the default we go to is like somebody slept with someone else's partner or something like that. But I was like, no, no, let's be more cinematic about this. Like what what could have happened? I stole the Um, Honda. I stole the Honda before you were able to say goodbye to her in that beautiful photo shoot and crashed. (laughs) That would have been wow. 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 Right, because I you just, knew you really knew how to twist the knife, you know? <laughs> yeah, that just I, I just like scared myself. So let's never go there. <laughs> but you know, it is like very telling that it is so much easier to talk about like an invented dramatic like eighties action movies like kind of slight than it is to describe what actually happened between the two of us. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, what happened between the two of us, uh, you know, I think on one hand, you can really say like, oh, we were growing apart. But I think that that's even that is like a little too simple and is also not true. I think that or it's like such a big euphemism to not be helpful. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that um, it's fair to say that there were a lot of like small things that happened, like, you know, like an incident about um, at this vacation that we went on, Desert Ladies that we write about. And um, a couple of like smaller miscommunication like around that and after that, that just like created an atmosphere of like trusting each other less, you know, because I think that what is true is that if if something happens where, uh, you know, like one of you doesn't feel good and you don't actually talk about it and put it to bed in a way that is like true and healthy, it just stays in the back of like at least one person's mind and it informs like every way that you communicate like moving forward. It was really it was really helpful to sit down and try to lay this all out in a book because even trying to explain it to a mental health professional, like she was more concerned in terms of like emotionally what was happening between us. And it was really um, being forced to tell it in concrete terms, like words we both chose, that it really became clear that it was like, oh, this is just us missing each other in all of these little ways. It was not actually that somehow there had been a big thing that we missed. You know what I mean? Like, I think for a long time, like, it was like, oh, what was what was the big thing that I'm just not seeing here? And actually, it was more, the reality was, what are all of the many little things that we are both not seeing? Right. Like, what are all the little things that you're not seeing? And also, just how, because we didn't talk about so many of these small things, both of us just started making assumptions, you know? And you let like past decisions inform future outcomes, which is always a recipe for disaster, you know? And I think it's also like true to say that because there was like not a lot of trust around some big things, the universe of things that we were talking about just became like really, really small. You know, it's like once, like a very good example of this, for example, right? Is like if in a three person, like friend triangle or whatever, or you were both friends with someone that one of you has like, friendship strife with one response that you can have is to just be like okay we're just never going to talk about that thing because it's awkward now and we had like you know like dozens and dozens of those things and for two people who work together and like you know we have to talk to each other for this podcast like the list of things that we were not um, letting each other talk to each other about which is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger which at some point just becomes untenable yeah it was like this unintentional categorical sorting of all the things that were happening in our lives. Like, can talk about it, can't talk about it. Like, um, can address it, like, mm, won't even consider addressing it. You know, like, like, and and I think that we both separately, usually not in the same moment, had this feeling of, okay, actually, I am noticing how many things that I'm not talking about, and I'm going to say something that's really high level, like, um, I know things aren't great right now. I feel like we both use that phrase, like, you know, in emails or texts without actually naming, here's what I am not talking about, or here are the questions I have about what's happening with us, or here are the ways that I'm feeling, or here are the ways that I think I've tried to reach out to you. I don't know if you received it like that. Like, you know, we didn't send specific communication like that. We were just kind of like, you know, would occasionally uh, send a well-intentioned like wave essentially to each other. And it turns out that um, it's really uh, impossible to fix a friendship if you are not able to start to get into the specifics. Yeah, that seems accurate and fair. And so, yeah, I mean, it's interesting now having done a bunch of interviews about the fact that we went to therapy together. I think that like I 
I would be interested in your thoughts on this. I think I had this impression before the book came out that we would do these interviews where people would be like, so you went to therapy together? And that would be like the headline. They would be really, really interested in that. And it's kind of telling, I think, that that question has come up in, in a lot of the interviews, but it, is, it has not really been the headline or like the big number one shocker. Like, I think, I don't know. I, I've been surprised by that a little bit. Yeah, I think I've been a little surprised by that. But also, I think that if anything, it just makes me, you know, question my own assumptions of like, oh, yeah, like, this is a thing that was really hard for me to process and to talk about. And so, you know, it had like an outsized meaning to me. And, you know, and the rest of the world is like, okay, great, you've tried to repair your relationship, like nothing special about that move on. And such a good reminder of a you can really work yourself into a frenzy over things that like other people just like don't care about as much as you do. So I love that. Or right. Like the stakes never feel as high from the outside. Like for us, like this was just such like a huge high stakes thing that that happened to us. And like, you know, it's impossible to convey sometimes like, you know, someone else is not going to be like, you did what? Because they are just not invested at the emotional level right. that we are in each other. Yeah. Right, 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 right. I, um, I love that though. And I think that you're right about the stakes being high, but here's the other thing. Um, you know, you can always lower the stakes. And that is a very helpful <laughs> reminder for me. Say more about what you mean by that. I mean, in the sense that um, everything does not have to have like a heightened sense of drama or emotion in this way. And I think that like speaking only for myself inside of this friendship, I think that I often have the experience of I am being intensely dramatic right now. Th this is too much. I have emoted so much. I'm just like I'm, I'm doing too much. And really, the only thing that I did was just to state very clearly what I was feeling. Um, mm -hmm. And it's like a good reminder for myself of like, okay, like one, like I'm not the person who decides what the standard of uh, you know like too much emotions is. One, that's just not fair. But also everything does not have to be like heightened conflicts. Like you can really just deescalate every single time. And so, it's, so I'm just like reminding myself to choose deescalation instead of escalation. And, mm. uh, and emotionally it feels good. Mm, I love that. It's also so, it's so helpful to hear that. I obviously have a very different way of being in the world than you do. Like we are very different people emotionally, which has always been our answer when people are like, what's the number one thing you learned in therapy together? We're like, uh, we learned that we're different. <laughs> that, is like, <laughs> that is like, we learned we are literally different people who, you know, like for me, like I, I don't know that that model of like, oh, it feels really heightened and I'm, I can choose to deescalate is something that would ever come into my mind. Um, when I'm feeling upset about something, you know, it's like I actually feel I'm trying to think about like what would be an equivalent type experience I have of like um, maybe more like a forensic examination of like, OK, things aren't good with us right now. What did I do or say wrong? How do I how do I like figure that out without actually talking to the person? Because I'm ashamed at maybe having done something wrong and I don't want to ask them directly. But like, how can I figure it out like on my own, like what I did and then account for it as an experience that I think I I have had. And part of the loneliness, I mean, we both have talked a lot about the loneliness we felt in this phase of our friendship. But like, part of it was that too, of like, you know, it's emotional CSI on your own is like not fun. Ooh, it's really it. not fun. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. There's a reason it's a team. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, but I like this is this is actually like very good because we started off like joking about the fact that we are different, you know. But I think that accounting for a difference in just how you deal with conflict actually is huge, you know? Mm -hmm. And so hearing you say that, 
now that we have been through uh, the process of uh, therapy together, that doesn't scare me. In the beginning of our relationship, like if we had known this, if I had known, the reason that Anne doesn't say anything when something doesn't feel good is not because she is gaslighting me. It is because she is dealing with her own internalized shame about what happened in the moment. Uh, we would have been in a very different place. Right. You know, Ugh. and so <laughs> that is a that just brings me. I just want to cry for our past self. When you say that, I really just feel like this wave of like sadness that like we did not have this info earlier. You know? Yeah, you don't have this info earlier, and I mean, like, it would be really nice when you enter into any kind of intimate relationships with people. You know, to just like front load the work and be like, okay, here's how I want to be talked to. Here's how I'm going to be treated when our relationship <laughs> is bad. Like, here's here's how I want this to go or whatever. And I do think that to some extent you can kind of do that. Like, a lot of healthy relationships are based on that kind of information. But it is also true that you are people who change and grow. And so even things that were true at the beginning of your relationship are not true in the middle or later down the line in your relationship. But also, I think that it's one thing to be able to talk about this stuff, and it is very different to experience it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that part of the work that I am trying to do for myself is to, um, instead of assuming intentions from people, including gaslighting, is to ask them like very clearly what is going on. And, mm -hmm. and really trying to extend to people the same benefit of the doubt that I hope that they're extending to me, because it sounds really simple to say like, yeah, we're different people, but like truly we are different people. Every way in which we are in the world is, um, is very fundamentally different. And that is something that has to be accounted for at every step of the way. Yeah. And, you know, and, and even just talking about the idea that this is a conversation that like two adults in any kind of intimate relationship can have up front. I mean, that's true, but it is just so not modeled in friendship, you know, like, like it might be um, acceptable to say like, okay, we need to really have a conversation about the ways in which we both handle conflict. If you are about to like, you know, get married to someone or whatever. I, I say this as the child of like Catholic engagement counselor parents, right? Like I'm, sh I'm shaking my head at myself for even yeah. invoking that. <laughs> um, but, but I, I will say that like um, the idea that you're right, like it's very hard to do up front and it is fully not expected in friendship because friendships build slowly, you know, day one, how weird would it be if I was like, I love gossip girl too. Here's what kind of emotional processor I am. <laughs> like, no, like just, it's not even conceivable, you know? It's not, but yet, yet here, here, here I want it. You're so right about the fact that, you know, this kind of framework is available in other relationships. Like I too, uh, am no stranger to the Christian counseling model of, uh, <laughs> you know, like how you get married or whatever. But I really wish that we created opportunities and really just like scripts for how you do that with friends because learning about that in low stakes moments makes uh, the stakes not seem as high when you're going through something that's rough. You know, because part of why it's so easy to walk away in friendship is this. You're just like, oh, like we hit a bump in the road. I don't need to be here. Like I'll make another friend where like people don't really say that with a, I'll make new parents or I'll make a new spouse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will say that to my spouse, um, but you know what I mean? So it is, it's just, I, I just wish that we made it more normal to talk about strife that is possible in like any kind of intimate relationship. Yeah. And, and 
One part about writing this section of the book is we revisited messages that listeners of this podcast had sent us about various ways their friendships were breaking down or had broken down. And it became pretty clear that, like, you know, the difference between us deciding that we were going to do this radical and expensive thing and go to therapy um, and other friendships that, like, you know, did not survive uh, something like this is that we both wanted to do it. You know, we both had enough knowledge, I think, at that point that we were really not sure what was happening with the other person. You know, like we we knew enough to know that we didn't have good info about what was happening with each other. And even if we were not on the same page about exactly what therapy was going to do to our friendship, I think that feeling of at least we'll have some more knowledge about the situation was a motivator. And I feel I feel grateful every day that we were aligned in that or or we both had our own reasons for wanting to show up to that process. Ooh. Thank God. Thank goddess. Well, let me tell you the great news is that uh, we have an expert guest this week, so we do not have to be the experts on this because goddess knows we are not. Oh, my God. We are not even experts in being ourselves. No, thank you. (laughs) Do you want to take a break? Let's take a quick break. Our guest is uh, is an expert who we consulted when we were writing the book, and she graciously agreed to talk to us again for this episode because she had a lot of really good insights on what is maybe at play when a friendship is not going well or when a friendship has ended. Um, Dr. Miriam Kiermeyer is a clinical psychologist, writer, speaker, and relationship expert, um, and she has spent the last decade studying adult friendships. So she is really um, as close as we could find to a therapist who bills themselves as dealing with issues related to friendship. There are really not that many of them. Okay, so here's Dr. Kiermeyer. Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, Miriam. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I wonder if you could start off by talking a bit about how friendship and particularly struggles or strife within friendship present themselves to you in your therapy practice? Mm -hmm. So there are a number of reasons why people seek therapy for interpersonal difficulties or difficulties in their relationships. And I will say that my therapy practice isn't specific to friendships the same way my other work is in terms of a lot of the writing and consulting work and speaking work that I do. Um, But there there is a lot of of friendship-related content that comes up with my clients in our conversations. So it's interesting to see the different ways that our friendships show up in our lives and the different types of difficulties and dynamics that can develop. So for some people, a lot of the heartache or difficulty comes from feeling lonely. And we tend to think of that as difficulty making new friends, meeting new people, connecting with new people. And so certainly that's one reason why people will often seek help is wanting to build those connections and wanting to find ways to approach people and embrace the kind of vulnerability that's needed for making friends and and work on kind of the assertiveness piece that's needed there. Um, but I also see, and I think we're, we're learning more and more, that loneliness 
isn't directly related to the number of friends that we have. And so people can often list off any number of close friendships, but they can still experience a certain type of emotional loneliness uh, where there isn't necessarily the intimacy uh, that they'd like to see in their friendships, where they don't feel like they can embrace their true selves, where they don't feel like they can open up about some of the struggles that they're going through, or on the other side, even some of the exciting things that are going on in their lives. So that's kind of one branch of it. The other piece, though, is obviously struggling with friendship conflict. And so I work with a lot of clients who are going through difficulties in their friendships, whether that is on you know, conflict or, or arguments or growing apart or needing to know how to navigate at the end of a friendship. And so it can present itself in many different ways. And what are some of the questions that you, I know this is asking you to generalize in a big way, but yeah. I think one thing Amina and I have struggled with at various points of our friendship is this sense of, am I reading this correctly? Are we both feeling this strife? Are mm -hmm. we, I don't know. There's a lot of things that happen um, in the minds of the individuals in a friendship that are yes. not always spoken out loud. And I'm wondering about some of the questions you ask people or prompts you give them to start to try to figure out what they need to vocalize to a friend. Yeah, this is such an interesting take on it because what we all tend to mind read from time to time. We all assume we know that what somebody else is thinking. And this can obviously happen with strangers or with acquaintances, but it's really interesting when it shows up in our closer relationships like our friendships, because when we have a little bit of insight into the way our friends think and feel, uh, it's very easy to then generalize that and assume that we know what they are thinking or experiencing all of the time. And so it's very true that those kinds of experiences can then lead to conflict when we're uh, incorrectly assuming what a friend is experiencing or just wanting to check whether we're on the same page. I would say that the biggest thing uh, that I encourage my clients to, to question is, is kind of what I just said. Is it possible that we're making assumptions here? Is it possible that we're um, assuming we know what a friend is thinking? Have you actually communicated what your guess is to them? Have you taken the time to check in and say, hey, look, you know, here's how I'm experiencing this. And I also noticed that I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you're experiencing this in a similar way. Is that true? What is this actually like for you? Those kinds of clarifying questions can really help us to navigate certain conflicts and situations and not just navigate them, but actually build a certain level of intimacy and closeness. Mm. And on that front about building, like I, I think it's really interesting that you say that because one thing that we have really been confronted with in working on this book is um, I think there's an assumption with friendship, especially that if it's not just working, it's not worth it. And mm. that's an assumption that we don't really extend to romantic relationships. I think people kind of expect that in a long term romantic partnership, you're going to go through ups and downs and you're going to have to like figure out how to get back on the same page once you've drifted apart. And Maybe you disagree, but for us, the, the assumption with friendship, I think, has always been if it gets hard, that means it's not serving you anymore. And I'm wondering about some of those boundaries and like how and whether the criteria that we apply to other intimate relationships about how we double down or walk away do those same criteria apply to like maybe a close friendship? Yeah, so this is this is such an interesting question because it really touches on not just the assumptions that we make in our individual friendships or at the individual level, but about friendships in the broader sense. And I, I tend to agree with a lot of what you said, that there is this overarching idea that our friendships, particularly our friendships as adults, should be easy. And what I mean by that is the expectation that 
firstly, we should have learned how to make and keep friends as children or teens, and that the same rules that we lived by during those years apply in adulthood, and that we should just have it figured out. And obviously, that's not the case for many, many people. And we can obviously talk more about that, too, in terms of what the consequences of that way of thinking is. Um, But the other piece of this is the assumption that friendships should not involve any kind of conflict or heartache and that the minute that shows up it says something about our relationship with our friend and we often interpret that to mean okay this is no longer a friendship that's working or this is an unhealthy friendship or even labels like this is a toxic friendship which gets spoken about a lot and we tend to check out often we just decide that this isn't worth it and I encourage my clients certainly and, and you know a lot of the people that I work with in this space to really push back on those ideas because I've said this before it's not the absence of conflict that makes a friendship close it's how we use that uh, to bring us actually closer together and how we work together to overcome the obstacles that will inevitably show up in these relationships. Oh my god, you're you're blowing my mind. The idea of of conflict being present as actually potentially a hallmark or an opportunity of Mm -hmm. like a friendship becoming stronger yeah i mean it's it's kind of counterintuitive to the way that we think about it now of course there are exceptions to this and uh, you know if a friend has has really betrayed our trust uh, and it's shattered irreparably or if a, a friend is really violating our values or our boundaries and that this is happening repeatedly those are different kinds of conversations but i do think there's something to be said for reframing the way we look at conflict and the more we can see it as somewhat normative and as you said an opportunity then the easier it is to take a step forward and actually engage with our friends in a healthy way is there a kind of pep talk or a way of thinking that you offer your clients or might offer our listeners if they are listening to this and being like, oh my gosh, yes, like I have been experiencing this conflict or disconnect in my friendship. I've mm-hmm. been so scared to bring it up. I'm hearing you and I like know that I need to, but how yeah. do I how do I find the fortitude to do that? I'm wonder I'm wondering if you have advice for those yeah, people. Yeah, I mean, my advice at the most basic level is firstly to normalize the experience. And that's kind of the goal of a lot of the work that I do is just to normalize how challenging our adult friendships can be. And yes, of course, they're incredibly meaningful and important, but they're also really difficult and that's okay. That doesn't say anything about you as a friend or as a person necessarily. It's just a reflection of how difficult these kinds of intimate relationships can be. And sometimes normalizing it can reduce some of the shame that comes with these kinds of challenges, which again makes it then easier to be vulnerable in the way that's needed to navigate these challenges. Because the second piece is really that I encourage people to invest in their friendships the same way that they do their romantic relationships. And so what I mean by that is we talk a lot about the importance of quality time, In our romantic partnerships, we talk a lot about the importance of open communication, how that's kind of one of the most important qualities or foundation of of, uh, romantic relationships in many ways. And the same is true for our friendships. And once we begin to have those kinds of conversations with our friends, again, it, it allows us to not just navigate obstacles and to to check our assumptions but to ultimately experience more satisfaction in our friendships and that's what's most important when it comes to our relationships with friends it's much less about how many friends we have or even how long we've been friends for it really has everything to do with how satisfied both we and our friends feel in the friendship and that satisfaction ultimately comes from these kinds of 
discussions and, and moments of connection. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting that word satisfaction because, you know, we use it in like a sexual context a lot. Yeah. We use it in a romantic context. I love that as a criteria in a friendship. And I'm wondering what that might feel or look like. I mean, I yeah. assume it's different for everyone, but I'm, I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit more about that. Sure. So, yeah, this is something that's really interesting and it touches on some of the research that I've done in the past where I've studied kind of the different expectations that we have for our friends as adults and how we navigate different situations that come up. What I'll say is that on the one hand, the expectations that we have for our friends are interestingly pretty stable throughout our lives. So if you ask children and, and adolescents what they expect from their friends and you ask adults, we see that the expectations are nearly identical. So we expect our friends to be reliable, to show up when they say they will, um, to return our calls, to not cancel last minute. We expect our friends to be vulnerable. Again, I keep coming back to this word, but there is the expectation of disclosure or of this emotional intimacy. And that's part of what separates our friendships from our acquaintances is that we speak to our friends about things that we wouldn't necessarily share with other people. The other hallmark, though, of close, healthy friendships is this idea of balance or reciprocity, meaning that it's a give and take. And that is also one of the defining features of friendships compared to other relationships, potentially, is this idea that there isn't or there shouldn't be a hierarchy of power, that both friends are bringing to the table certain uh, qualities and needs, and that those should be given equal space in the friendship. So those kinds of expectations are there across the board and throughout development. But what's really interesting is that the way that those get expressed within the context of our friendships can absolutely differ, not just depending on our age, but on our different friendships. So we might have certain expectations, for example, with one friend in terms of how often we speak, the kinds of activities that we do together, how intimate our discussions are, and those rules might be very different for another one of our friendships. And I think that just touches on why this type of open communication is so important. Because if we don't know the expectations for that particular friendship, and if we're violating not just the rules of friendship, but the rules of that friendship, that's when there can be opportunities for, for heartache or for pain. You made a comment earlier about um, the ways we learn to maintain friendships, maybe as children or teenagers or you know earlier points in our life when maybe there's different structures at play and i'm wondering if you th have thoughts about the maintenance needs of friendship as we all go about our adult lives <laughs> and um and how to maybe figure that out because i think one one prerequisite for having conversations about expectations in each unique friendship is is knowing for yourself what you have come to rely on from that friend and what you need. And um, I think at times when I have personally struggled with whether to continue with a friendship or whether to distance myself from someone, it's been because I'm not clear myself on like what I'm getting or what I want to get from that relationship. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. if you have advice on that front. In terms of clarifying what, what, our, what our needs are in a particular friendship or in terms of how we can maintain? Yeah, kind of what are maintain. some questions I could maybe ask myself to start yeah. to figure out, like, what am I getting from this friendship? Or what, what, what do I need from this person that I'm maybe not receiving in the moment? Right. So that's an interesting question. I, I guess where it brings me in my mind is firstly this reality that, especially as adults, we can have different friendships that each meet different needs. And so this is perhaps 
partly what distinguishes our adult friendships from those that we had when we were younger, where we tend to think much more about the importance of having a best friend or having kind of this very you know, close social network where we had very few friends who would meet most of our friendship needs. As adults, that isn't necessarily always the case. So we might have one friend that we turn to when we really need to have those kind of supportive um intimate conversations uh, we might have another friend that we turn to when we're really looking to try out new activities um, spend time with as our identities and roles change too throughout our lives if we become uh, parents or mothers if we invest in growing our businesses or entrepreneurship we might also want friends who can support us in those endeavors and who maybe have similar or complementary experiences and so from my end it's helpful to think about what are the different parts of my life that I'd like to share with somebody either you know what are the part the aspects that I'd like help with um, wh what are the parts of my life where it'd be more enjoyable to share this with somebody and then from there I can think about who in my life meets those specific needs not everyone has direct access to a therapist who is out front and center about the fact that they deal in issues related to friendship. I know mm -hmm. that this was a struggle Amina and I really had. And I'm wondering, you know, as a professional, if you have advice for people who maybe solo or with a friend want a little bit more guidance as they navigate strife in their friendships and how to go about finding a professional who is going to be able to help them. Yeah, so it, it really, it can be difficult to to navigate the system, so to speak, in terms of finding whether it's the right therapist or person to connect with and support you through this process or even just the resources that are out there. So I'm always very happy to share this kind of information. And I do a lot of work on, you know, through social media in terms of the different kinds of interviews and, and sharing this content. And I, I'm not able to share personal advice online just because of ethical um, considerations, obviously, but I am very keen on, on making this kind of information and resources accessible and sharing it. And so some of the the different outlets that I often recommend. Well, first, if you're looking to connect with a therapist, Psychology Today can be a fantastic resource because you can search not only by geographic region, but also by area of expertise. And for the most part, I don't believe they have a friendship tab on their website, but they do uh, have a an ability to search for a therapist who specializes in relationship issues. And so that could be a good place to start. It's also, we all differ in terms of how open we are about talking about therapy, and it can be a good place to start by asking some of your close friends, whether they know of anyone or whether they can even ask their therapists to recommend another therapist that they often refer to. So that's an option. Above and beyond seeking kind of professional support, though, there are more and more resources coming out in this area. So there are a lot of people who write on this topic, more and more of us. So I have a blog with Psychology Today called Casual to Close, and I share a lot of information there for building closer connections. So I always kind of share these resources, and I'm always happy to if, if uh, people are looking for those kinds of, of, uh, of outlets. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to chat. Ah, Dr. Kermeyer, where have you been my entire friendship life? Love an expert. Love to call an expert. This is how you know we are true nerds, where we were like, you know, someone, there is always someone who knows more than we do about something. And um, she is one of them. Ah, I love it. I love it so much. 
Uh, well, we have a couple more episodes left in our summer of friendship. Um, and also, if you are eager for the full story about what's happening, what happened with our friendship breakdown and how we fixed it and all of that, it's in the book. There are more words than we would ever have time for in an episode of CYG. You can get Big Friendship wherever you buy books, ideally your local independent bookstore. And you can find all those links and more information at bigfriendship.com. See you on the internet, boo-boo. See you on the internet. You can find us many places on the internet. Callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all your faves. Subscribe, rate, review, you know the drill. You can call us back, leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf. And you can buy our book, Big Friendship, anywhere you buy books. Our theme song is by Robin, original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. We have editorial support from Laura Bertacci. Producer is Jordan Bailey. This podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. <laughs>